You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with the sermon this afternoon, which will be on the providence of our God, Lord's Day 10, what the church confesses there, let's read together two passages from Genesis. First, Genesis 37. Two passages from the beginning and the end of the account about the life of Joseph. An account which shows very clearly the hand of our Heavenly Father. We'll read Genesis 37 beginning at verse 2 through to verse 11 and then we'll skip over to Genesis 50 and pick up at Genesis 50 verse 15. So Genesis 37 verse 2. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And then turning to Genesis 50, you'll see that Joseph gets sold by his brothers to slave traders who in turn sell him to Potiphar. And then after resisting the approaches of Potiphar's wife, he's thrown in prison for quite a long time before he finally comes out of prison to speak to Pharaoh. And he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, showing very clearly to Pharaoh that it's the work of the Lord. And then he provides for Egypt and many other people around throughout a famine. His brothers come and meet him, and there are very other, many other things that happen. He reveals himself to them. And then in Genesis 50, his father dies. And we pick up at Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. 
But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by His providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, They cannot so much as move. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we look at the doctrine of God's providence as we have it here in Lord's Day 10. And in doing that, alongside doing that, we'll look at that doctrine as it's illustrated in the life of Joseph, the son of Jacob, the one who was sold into slavery in Egypt and later became one of the rulers of that country. The account of the life of Joseph is really a a tour de force, a clear demonstration of the potency and the practicality of God's providence in the lives of His people. You see the, the power of God and also how it clearly works out in the lives of God's people. It illustrates for us God's providence. But please notice that in looking at the life of Joseph, we're we're not inserting a meaning of God's providence onto the life of or onto the account of Joseph, but instead we, we glean this doctrine from God's work among his people, including what we see in Joseph's account. We see it in how the story is told and in what happens, and in many other examples in the Old and New Testament. As we see the dealings of God with His people, we see really God's providence being illustrated for us. This has, has been the consistent experience of all God's people, including Joseph, And it's made clear throughout the Psalms and in the Proverbs and in the Prophets and also in the letters of Paul and the rest of the New Testament. They all make us unable to deny the reality of God's almighty and ever-present power in the lives of His people, in the lives of His children. And so I preach to you the Word of God this afternoon under this theme that we confess God's providence. God's fatherly hand. Confessing God's providence is confessing God's fatherly hand. We'll see first three truths 
about the doctrine of God's providence, and then secondly, three fruits of believing and confessing this doctrine. So first, three truths about God's providence. The first one that is part of God's providence is that God governs all things. God governs all things. That's the truth that dominates Lord's Day 9 and 10 and is really close to the heart of what we confess when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Confessing that is also confessing that God not only created heaven and earth and all things, but that He also governs them. He didn't just create them and then let them go on their merry way, but He remains committed to His creation and to His people, and He still continues to uphold and govern all things. Basically, when we say that I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, we're confessing the Creator, we're also confessing God's providence, His almighty and ever-present power that governs all things according to His purpose. But how, you may wonder, how do we know that God is in control of everything? How do we really know that? There's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of things we don't know. How do we know that God is in control? The frontiers of scientific knowledge are expanding all the time. The amount of stuff that people know about this world, this universe, this creation is incredible. I have a very small background in science and know just enough to be dangerous and do occasionally read a little bit of scientific material in my spare time. But no sooner do I start reading something about about a new discovery in quantum physics or in, in nanoscience, which is the, the science of very small things, and all of a sudden my mind begins to spin with amazement at the amount of knowledge and perception into this universe that, that people in our world have, and that really is at our fingertips. And so you would think with all this knowledge about how the world works from the smallest to the biggest things, you would really think, wouldn't it be clear from all this that God is in control? We see the, the workings of the universe so clearly and in so many different ways that wouldn't it be clear you'd be able to say, yes, right there is where we can see God in control, working this or that out. Wouldn't there be a point at which the scientist would have to admit that he's reached the summit of his investigation and once there... He found God. That's the spot where God is upholding and governing all things. Well, the answer to that, as you probably know, is no. It doesn't seem as if scientists are about to admit that. At least, not a lot of them. And it doesn't seem to be the direction in which most scientific uh, investigation inquiry is headed. You see... Our relationship to the providence of God is not fundamentally about facts. It's not about inquiry or discovery. But it's fundamentally about faith. The starting point is faith. That's why the scientist doesn't admit, as he 
gains more and more knowledge about the working of this universe, he doesn't come to the point of saying that it is God because it all starts from faith. The first two words of Article 13 in the Belgic Confession, which is about the providence of God, makes this clear. It says, we believe. That's the starting point for understanding the providence of God. We believe that this good God, after He created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to His holy will, He so rules and governs them that in this world nothing happens without His direction. Knowing that God governs all things is first of all about faith. It's about trusting in God. And in what God has told us about Himself, namely, that He is in control. And that means that our our scientific investigation, knowing more about the universe, may very well, and of course it will support the fact that God is in control. But it doesn't establish that as a fact. When we confess the providence of God, in the first place we're taking God at His word. God tells us that He is in control, and we believe Him. Joseph confessed the reality of God's control in Genesis 50, verse 20, where he told his brothers, You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done. Behind Joseph's statement is this fact, God is in the one, is the one who's in control around here, and not you or me or anyone else. Notice that Joseph is affirming the same thing that we spoke about already, but on a more profound level. God is not only in control of the workings of the universe, but he's also in control of the workings of all the people in this universe. God is in control of those human actions and, and the way that they carry things out and what ultimately happens from them. So God's control, this fact, and Joseph's belief in it, is obvious throughout his life. It's obvious when he obeys God in the face of temptations, when when Potiphar's wife makes those advances towards him. He trusts in God's will. He trusts that God shows the way to walk in integrity, And so he walks in that way, trusting that things will go well, even though it winds him up in prison. And this fact that God is in control is also clear to Joseph when he resides in prison for so long. He's in prison for no reason, he's innocent, but yet he continues to trust in God, knowing that God has a purpose for this. And he also shows that God is in control when he speaks to Pharaoh, when when Pharaoh has that dream and then he asks Joseph to interpret it, and Joseph says, God is the one who's in control. He revealed it to me. He gave you that dream, and this is what he's going to do in the future. Now, of course, Joseph in all those situations didn't have a a well-worked-out scientific understanding of exactly how God governs everything in the universe at one time so that all things work according to His plan and purpose. But He doesn't need to have that. He believes in God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the God who has put His love on Him also. 
And that, brothers and sisters, is where we need to begin as we confess the providence of God. We need to begin with faith. We need to begin by trusting that God is in control. By believing Him at His Word. When He says that He holds you in the palm of His hands, when He says that He's the one who directs the stars and counts them and knows them by name, we need to trust Him at His Word and know that He is in control. So that's the first truth about the providence of God. The second one is, of course, very closely related, and that is that God does all things for our good. I Actually, I don't know if you noticed it, but I limited my definition of God's providence in the last point so that I could intentionally bring out this point now, which is that the hand of God, which so rules and governs everything, which has everything under its control, is not the hand of a totalitarian dictator or of a controlling overlord, but it's the gentle and powerful hand of a loving father. God not only governs and controls all things, but He does it for a good and a loving purpose. God is our Father, and He has committed Himself to us in a covenant of love. He has committed Himself to pierce in that same covenant. He has signified and sealed His promises to Him and to all of us who have received the the sacrament of baptism. And so we can trust in His goodness, which of course goes along with trusting in His power. That's why Jesus can speak the way that He does in Matthew 6, and saying, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. You don't need to worry, He says, because your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And just like he gives food to the sparrows and the other birds of the air, so he's going to look after you. And God is not only in control of of our daily needs, uh, as in the last example, giving us our food, he's also in control of everything for our salvation. This is what we confess in Lord's Day 1. Jesus Christ preserves us so that by the will of our Father, no harm can come to us, All things, in fact, must work together for our salvation. The God who governs every aspect of this universe from the the smallest element to the, the largest galaxy is the same God who is committed to saving us, His people. And He's shown that commitment to us, hasn't He? In sending His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can, if we have an eye for it, of course, We can open our Bibles and we can see His fatherly hand on every page of the Old Testament as He's working everything out in order to come to the point that He sends His Son. He makes sure that it gets done. And so if we return to Joseph, we see this clearly worked out with him as well. Again, Joseph, you intended to harm me, says to his brothers, But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph confesses not only the power of God, but also the goodness of God. And where the power of God and the goodness of God come together, there you have the providence of God. God worked mightily and clearly in Joseph's life, 
not only to preserve his life, but also that of his brothers and and sister, and not only their lives, but the lives of many others in Egypt and all around. And of course, looking at the bigger picture, God was also even there in the life of Joseph working out his plan of salvation. He preserved the line of Jacob from starvation in that terrible famine through Joseph. And he gave them a safe and a secure place to live in Egypt through Joseph. And then later, beyond the time of Joseph, when the Egyptians would turn on the Israelites and threaten their livelihood and their worship of God, then God would again deliver them. And turning even the so-called forces of nature against the Egyptians. Of course, God is in control of that as well. And time and time again, God would show himself to his people to be the loving father who is in control and who is committed to his people. To their livelihood, to their goodness, to their salvation. One thing we need to realize, however, is that this this power and purpose of God is not always clear in the middle of things. But it always, and it will be clear at the end. It wasn't clear for Joseph as he pined away in that Egyptian prison after being falsely accused. And it wasn't clear to the Israelites as they faced their enemies and dangers. But when the time had fully come and God sent His Son into the world to redeem His people, then He showed them and He proved to them that He had been in control the whole time. And so when we confess that fatherly hand of God, we can have the same confidence in difficult times. It's not clear, usually, in the middle of of a trial or a difficult time, what God is doing or what the result will be. But we can be sure that God is working. God's in control. And He's working it for your good. He's working for the good of His beloved children. Saying this, I think of those in our congregation who either are are dealing with illness right now, I think of cancer, or who have loved ones who are, are dealing with it somewhere else. It's a terrible disease. And the road of, of diagnosis and treatment is a long and a difficult one. It, it's one that has the hope of recovery, maybe, at the end, but it also has the possibility of no recovery at all. And the treatment itself is one that's very difficult to go through and full of pain and and tiredness. We shouldn't ignore that fact. That's the reality. It's a very difficult thing to go through. But believing that God is in control and that God is good, we can take comfort in Him. He ultimately knows all about those cells in your body, the body of your loved one. And He knows what those chemicals and treatments are doing. And even more, He he holds you in the palm of your hands and He's with you. He has committed Himself to you. And He's with you. Notice that question and answer 27 speaks about leaf and blade. 
rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Even in the bad things, God is still at work. It's, it's so hard to see in the middle of that struggle. And it certainly is hard for our brothers and sisters struggling against illness to see that. But it's true. It's hard to see and it, it might never be clear to us on this side of glory what exactly God ha- intends. But we can know and trust that He is in control and that it is according to His purpose, and that that purpose is good. We can know and trust in our Heavenly Father. He arranged all things to send His Son into this world to secure our salvation. He arranges all things to meet our our daily needs. Will He not also be with us in our difficult time as well? He will. He is. That brings us, then, to the last truth about God's providence, and that's this. That God not only provides us with all things, but God also gives us the means with which to live and to use His providence. What I'm talking about is this. Those who don't believe in God or don't trust God's providence will say that if God is really in control of everything, then why do we have to bother to do anything? Why bother to pray if God's in control? Why bother to work and get your food and if God's in control? Can't God figure out a way of making things work out for us without us doing anything at all? And while the answer to that question is yes and no, yes, God can and will figure out, to use those words, a way of providing. God has always provided. And God is in control of everything. That's what we've been saying. All things will work according to His plan. But yet, on the other side, we still need to pray. And we still need to be responsible with what He's given us. And we still need to use the means that God has given us to to feed ourselves, to make a living, to protect our bodies. We use those things because God has ordained those things for us to use. God wants us to pray because He wants to hear us. He wants us to acknowledge our needs and He wants to answer our prayers. God wants us to work for food because He wants us to learn submission and obedience and responsibility. God wants us to take care of our bodies and protect ourselves from harm. God, in His providence, has given us able bodies and working minds and opportunities to get food and health and whatever else so that we might use them. Us praying, us working is not outside of the providence of God, but in fact it's in God's providence because He's given us these faculties to use. Confessing God's providence means acknowledging and using the ways that God works out His providence. It means asking Him for His daily bread. It means looking after the health of our bodies. 
It means keeping ourselves safe in whatever situation we're in, as far as we can control it. Jesus knew that God was in control of everything when Satan took him to the top of the mountain and told him, told him to throw himself down. He knew that God was in control and that he might be able to do that, but he quoted those words from Moses, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Confessing that God works all things for our good implies that we will use what he's given us responsibly and not put him to the test. Joseph, if we want to go back to him, used the means that God had given him in whatever situation he was in. Whether that was through submission and obedience when he was in prison, or whether that was being proactive when he stored up lots of grain for the coming famine. He didn't just sit around and wait for God to act, but he realized that God was acting through him, with him. Joseph used the faculties of his mind and the resources at hand to serve God, all the while, of course, trusting that God was in control. And so, three truths about God's providence. God's in control. God is in control for our good. And that we need to use the means that God has given us. And so, serve Him that way. And then we move to three fruits then from God's providence. And these three fruits won't take much time because they've, they've sort of been there already in what we've been saying. If not explicitly mentioned, then pretty clear in, in the exposition of God's providence. And the first fruit, of course, is that uh, of confessing God's providence is God's glory. When we confess that God is in control, we give God the glory. This morning we talked about giving our first fruits to God. Well, the first fruits of God's providence is God's own glory. It's praise for the wonder of His power and His control in this world. And it's glory to Him for the, the beauty and the blessings of that plan. And this really should be obvious to us. God is glorious. And when we realize and acknowledge the extent of His power and love, then we give Him glory, the glory of which He's worthy. Praise is the inevitable result of knowing God. Because when we begin to understand that God, our God, our Father, has not only created all things, but also upholds and governs them, and that He's in control of them, and that He has a plan and a purpose in everything, and that He... He's working out that plan and purpose even among us and that He's building up Christ's kingdom and He's renewing this world, then how can we not praise Him? If we acknowledge what He is doing in this world, how can we not praise Him? Because what He is doing is so good. Glory, Glorifying God is the first fruit of confessing God's providence. The second fruit is... Patience. Patience. And again, this really goes hand in hand with confessing the doctrine of God's providence. In fact, it goes hand in hand with it just like a a father walks hand in hand with his child. God in His providence leads us through this life and we, trusting in His providence, take His hand and 
follow Him. And trusting in Him every step of the way, even if we don't know where He's going. Confessing that God is in control means submitting to His timing. As one of the authors of the Catechism wrote somewhere else, he said, we become impatient when we focus on the creatures that oppose us rather than on God, who does not do these things as our adversary, but as our Father. Realizing that whatever comes our way in this life, it it comes from God, who is our Father, who loves us. Knowing that God is powerful and is for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, leads us to rest patiently in His providence. A child gets impatient with her parent when she doesn't trust her mother's direction. What her mother wants her to do or what her mother is doing doesn't seem right and so she gets impatient. An employee gets impatient with his boss when he feels like he knows better than him. He feels like his boss is not quite as competent as he should be. Well, we need to be patient with our God. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit on any occasion, but definitely with respect to the providence of God. God is not an unsure parent, and He is not an incompetent boss. He's God. His ways are good. His timing is right. And we need to learn to trust in His plan. So the second fruit is patience. And the last fruit that the Catechism mentions Lord's Day 10, question answer 28, is security. Security. We can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father. We simply don't know what the future will hold or or what it will bring for us or for our loved ones. And even if we did know, we wouldn't be able to do anything about it. It's, It's true, we can try and prepare ourselves for certain situations, but if we have a realistic view on this life, and we know that we're very limited in what we can do in order to protect ourselves from the future, from what might happen down the road. That's the realistic view. But the confession of God's providence, believing in God's love and control, assures us that no matter what does come, it comes from the hand of a loving Father, the same hand which will guide us through all things. It comes from the hand of that Father, the the one who has cared for this world since He created it. The one who has arranged history according to His plan. The one who sent His Son at at the precise moment that He willed for our salvation. The one who made and formed you. The one who has Again, given the gift of life. The one who works out all things for your good. That's the hand of the one from whom all things come. It's a hand in which we have great security. With God's providence, we confess it and we believe it. That's the response to knowing that God is in control, that God's working out all things for our good. Embrace it. Trust it. Live it. 
Know that your faithful God and Father so completely has you in His hand that nothing can separate you from His love. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.